I'm Michelle. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome back to our podcast Books and Beyond with Bound. We are a podcast which interviews the best writers in India and this is season 2, our quarantine edition. Last time we spoke to Radhika Vaz and on this episode we spoke to the father of speculative fiction in India, Samit Basu. We absolutely loved his books. Yeah, I'm a big fan of dystopian fiction and he actually calls his work anti-dystopian. So we found out what that means and we also found out how he managed to create an entire genre from scratch in India. Yeah, Tara, I was really fascinated with all of his ideas, you know, because each book of his is different from each other. I wanted to know how he created these worlds. Like I struggled with world building myself and I'm glad I found the answer on the episode. Yeah, we hope you will find some answers about the speculative fiction world too in this episode. So, let's dive in. Hi everyone, welcome back to Books and Beyond. So today we're very very excited to be interviewing Samit Basu. He is an Indian novelist. He is touted as starting the whole speculative fiction genre in India and most recently he's written a book called Chosen Spirits which Michelle and I both loved. He's also written the Game World trilogy and superhero novels Turbulence and Resistance. So welcome Samit. Welcome. Hi. Could you tell our readers a little bit more about your latest book, Chosen Spirit? What is it about? Right. Well, see, Chosen Spirits is uh, set 10 years or so in the future. It's set in Delhi. I mean, the protagonists are two people who are in their mid-20s at the time of uh, this uh, book taking place. And they are basically people who are uh, privileged and who are, um, you know, um, just trying to lead normal lives and find happiness and not trying to change the world and just trying to deal with the many, uh, many uh, very troublesome situations that surround them, you know, in an age of constant surveillance and everything is distracting. So it's like a volume turned up version of today. And it, the book is the story of how they fail at finding anything approaching a normal life, but they perhaps find themselves in that attempt. Yeah, and Samit, I think that's something that I really liked in the book. Uh, that was, you know, the constant surveillance and especially the way you portrayed that. I think it was really well done. And also, we also liked your book, uh, Turbulence, Samit. So if you can just... I love Turbulence. Yeah, tell, the, tell our readers, I mean, tell our listeners a little bit about the book. It would be great. Right. So Turbulence is the story of um, what happened to a group of people who were all in a plane that came from uh, London to Delhi and uh, found some months after that that they each had mysterious physical abilities that corresponded to their innermost desires. So a third-generation Air Force pilot could now fly, um, a woman who, had, who thought she had married too early and had a child too early and wished she could have led other lives now can uh, divide up into multiple bodies and so never has to make a choice again. Um, and again, I mean, of course, whenever there are people with superpowers, there are people who don't want to use these superpowers to really be nice. Um, so it's a story of what happens to a cluster of these people who suddenly find that they have the ability to really change the world with their actions and what they do with that. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed that concept. Um, it was so fascinating because you always kind of sort of, you know, ask yourself, you know, what would my superpower be and what is my innermost desire? And, you know, what would be the superpower that corresponds to that? So that concept was really, really interesting. Did, did but coming know? back, do you know what your superpower would be? No, yeah. I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. I don't. Michelle, do you? Yeah, actually, I want to be invisible, Tara. <laughs> what about you? Wow. <laughs> well, listen, then you just join publishing. 
your invisibility <laughs> will be immediate <laughs> yeah that is true that is true um no i haven't actually thought too deeply about you know what my superpowers would be because i feel like i have too many wants and desires so i don't think i'll be satisfied with just one um but uh, what about you samit oh for me it was uh, uh, being able to just lead multiple lives at the same time um and you know just to have therefore to sort of collectively have more time to do all the things that i want and also to do all the things that i don't get to do um and of course i mean you know when the book came out many years ago i would say things like i wish i could travel more and i wish i could uh, just you know try out all the things that that i wish i had done um now in during a pandemic that feels like a bit of a weird thing to say um but coming back to what you said um could you tell us a little bit more about that journey um you know about your debut simicon uh, prophecies um because how did you convince publishers you know to take this on board especially when there was nothing like this available at the time right so see i was really young at the time and i didn't know anything about publishing or anything other than the desire to write a book and that was it right so um i had a fairly dramatic journey into starting this which was that i was one of those i was reasonably good at studies didn't know what i wanted to do uh, then went to business school and discovered that i didn't want to do that so i dropped out of it fairly dramatically to come home and sort of write the book i always wanted to write and uh, also because i'm ancient we didn't grow up um in a time where books were really divided into different categories of shelf in the large stores so we just grew up in a situation where you just have every kind of book in one big shop and one ancient man who would look at you and know what book you wanted to read so i didn't even know that fantasy was a whole separate publishing system or that it was something that you weren't allowed to write in india or anything like that so i just wrote the book that i wanted to write because i couldn't write a semi autobiographical novel because my life was very uninteresting um <laughs> So, but your imagination is really fascinating samit and i think that's your strength but thank you very much but also you know so i thought you know the only thing that i knew and loved and really cared about at that point was just a hundred different books and movies and shows and you know all of those stories that i had kind of digested and that formed this kind of explosive compound within me um so i thought why not make a what would hopefully be a totally new story but where the bones of the stories that had inspired this were very clearly visible and in fact celebrated and that's really where the simicon prophecies came from where the desire was to take you know every myth every huge uh, pop culture thing every sort of classic book that had influenced me and out of those to build something that was new and also did a few things that i think i found missing in the fantasy books or the books of that kind that i'd read which is the you know the non white heroes or just just turning a lot of these classic things on their head and seeing what happens and uh, samit i think uh, you know going to business school is something me and tara uh, you know we have also experienced that and then we figured that okay so that didn't really work out for us and we really love uh, you know everything to do with books right tara i stuck out i stuck out like a sore thumb in business school <laughs> <laughs> i think i all my all my peers like what is she doing here so i could totally relate to that uh, aspect yeah i mean it was i mean it was a lovely place of course and i i have several friends who went there and have turned out to be very good human beings and very rich which is something that i now have second thoughts about 
but uh, it was very clearly not for me like i was you know it just took me a week or so to realize that i didn't want to be there um so samit you know that makes us wonder like you know while growing up were there any books comics or movies that you know you came across which actually introduced you to this whole fantasy world and you know was that something that was always there in your subconscious to be a writer um absolutely so i had always wanted to do something something well loosely speaking creative in the 80s and 90s when i was growing up it was not something that you did for a living it was something that other people from very posh backgrounds did and uh, you also didn't really know anyone who was involved in these fields in any way so you were going in with with a complete lack of knowledge you didn't even have the internet to sort of give you general advice right so um it was not something that that anyone from my background at least thought that they could actually do um so growing up there were lots of books that that kind of you know every fable every every myth uh things like the lord of the rings things like terry pratchett discworld which was a huge 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 influence on my first few books i read these and was transported immediately but for me you know the the understanding of genre was not there like i did not see how these stories were different in a in a significant way from something like enid blyton's books because the famous five eating tongue sandwiches in cornwall was as alien to me as uh, bill obagin's wandering out of the shire and that's a very interesting perspective actually you know because it is and i remember when i was you know when we were all growing up we would only read you know um, even for children's literature i mean we would only read things that are filtered down from the west but you know obviously you know you were introduced to you know all of these amazing books but your own ideas are so fantastic you know um samit michelle and i were talking about it so where do these ideas come from i mean how how do you think of all these concepts so you know i think a lot of them just come from uh the churn that reading causes in your brain you know we're doing this constantly whenever we are reading something or when we're watching a movie or a show and nowadays increasingly even when we're seeing a lot of hot takes back together on twitter or somewhere like that what is interesting is not only the the text itself or or the the storytelling segment itself but the next step which is you know that what if that comes into your brain after that like you know sometimes it's basically a you know but what if this happened in india or what if this happened in the future or the past that for me is is one of the most interesting things where you know you're kind of auto translating as you read and see you know like this could never happen to me or this could never happen in the environment that that i grew up in or um i'm sure you guys find yourself doing this which is that when you're watching something that isn't that great or when you're reading something where it's just not really working for you you start thinking about how you would have done it better or i wish this other thing had happened instead so it's that gap between what you're consuming and what your what you would have built yourself that that i think often leads to uh, leads to you starting to build it yourself because most most of the writers who are my favorites who i know are people who are basically writing the books or writing the scripts or making the films that they wish someone else had made and spared them the work but you know we also wonder samiti i'm sure you have so many ideas in your head you know so many wild exciting ideas but then how do you pick like which story do i work on right now you know and how do you know like which one you can execute or rather which one you can you know do justice to so how do you work that out okay you know that's a huge question um for anyone who's who's writing or telling stories in any medium as in you know idea selection because as we all discover 
a few years down the line of doing anything related to storytelling, having an idea is the easiest thing in the world. It's executing that idea in any form that is the tough part, right? So um, for me, it boils down to a number of things. Um, I've been storytelling for a living for about 17 years now across media. And so when you do uh, books and short stories and comics and films also, then you learn from each medium, but you also get a much wider glimpse into what's happening, you know, what sort of stories people are most excited by in every field um, and what sort of stories have that pulse of uh, this is very hot right now. Now that I know what, you know, what is a safe space to write or what is the trending space to write uh, now, that is something that once you figure out that perfect algorithm, you do anything else, you know. Um, And for me, what it, what it usually boils down to is that I will end up with around three or four ideas, which uh, I think are good as ideas, right? Then I will sort of look for which is the most sort of self-indulgent one and eliminate that. When I'm down to two ideas as to what do I spend at least one year of my life uh, working on, I usually sort of, you know, start looking at things like which one is more uh, personally exciting like it's a wholly internal process like which one will be more fun to do which one will be more interesting to do which one will help me grow my skills in any way which is a bit sort of unexplored which is which is something that I haven't done before and that's usually the one that I'll go for because fantasy and you know a lot of speculative fiction uh pretty much talks about real life like it talks it addresses realities but obviously through an imaginary lens um I mean, is there a character which is very similar to you or, you know, I'm sure, I mean, a lot of, you know, personal elements do um, seep into your story. So is that something that you have um, experienced, Summit? My own writing has actually always been either a reflection of things that I've thought about and felt about a lot in terms of the, the characters and their, you know, what happens to them. Or something, I mean, Chosen Spirits, for example, was deeply personal. And everyone in it was sort of a hybrid of people I actually know, except except a few characters who are wholly uh, constructed. And you also mentioned in many interviews that, um, you know, Chosen Spirits, um, you know, is only set 10 years uh, in the future. And, um, you know, when I read it, it felt very much like a dystopian fiction to me. And I read a lot of uh, dystopia, actually. But uh, you categorize it as an anti-dystopia. So could you tell our listeners, what does this phrase mean? Um, So anti-dystopian is a phrase that will not really fly because, you know, ultimately it probably will get categorized as a dystopian novel because of the nature of uh, the environment in it. But what I intended with it was a few things. Uh, First of all, you know, most classic dystopian fiction has the luxury of distance. So a lot of it is either, you know, what if... Uh, what if the Nazis had won the Second World War? Or what if uh, Stalin was running England in a nebulous future? Um, So they're very hypothetical scenarios, very different from the reality of the core audience of those books. Or um, they have the luxury of distance in terms of what if something that is happening in many other parts of the world were happening in my uh, part of the world, which is, you know, your handmaid's tale. um, But if you're actually living in the middle of... uh, the dystopian world that you're describing, then I think it's it's not really the same. Um, the other one was that, again, uh, in, in most dystopian fiction, they have that uh, 
emotional distance as well from the book in in and they can kind of take it to its most kind of stark edgy uh, bleak conclusion um in order to sort of drive home the dystopianness of uh, the narrative uh, most strongly but in chosen spirits i am really trying to reflect uh, something that is not too far from the normal life that that we are looking at now and the characters um the characters goals so to speak are not really to transform anything or start any revolutions or change the world but just to have a normal life just to have a peaceful uh, stable emotionally unchallenged economically prosperous life but that's broadly why i'm looking at the goals of what i'm trying to do uh, as something that is quite distinct from most of the dystopian fiction that i really enjoy um hence anti dystopia Yeah I mean that really uh, you know explains the whole process really well um Samit and I think you know the book for us was like our worst nightmare coming alive you know it's like um so yeah but also you know what we really like Samit is how you managed to take what we are familiar with and also create very you know interesting bits out of it so for example just to give a context to our uh, listeners you know so the main protagonist in chosen spirits is a reality controller So Samit can you tell us more about how you came up with this designation and you know why did you choose that for the main protagonist and what is a reality controller okay huh. so a reality controller is basically a manager plus agent plus supervisor plus producer who who handles a set of stars and flow stars are basically the influencers of 10 years from now where i was visualizing this thing called the flow which is which is if you take your instagrams and your tiktoks and your various social medias and you add to them a reality tv and live streaming of gaming and all of that so it's this one combined mega entertainment live stream um that that uh, your influences of tomorrow are the celebrities of and the reality controller is the person who is kind of handling all of this who's kind of directing producing managing um both the the multidirectional live stream and the usually quite problematic people who are the stars of this so um that's what a reality controller is and the reason why i wanted a person like that to be the protagonist was that um i am very fascinated by the people who are slightly behind the scenes um but still have enough power and clout to actually make a difference so it's not like people who are observers but people who have responsibilities and people who have the ability to effect change even if not on a drastic level but the people who actually build the cultures that we consume hence yeah i mean it was very very um, interesting and it really felt like this is something that you know it it might as well come true i mean it probably will come true um and so i also read in an interview um you know where you said that you mentioned that dystopia is about engaging with the real world and escaping it escaping from it at the same time and that sentence sort of just hooked me because you know i mentioned that i read a lot of uh, dystopia but not so much fantasy um and it's probably because i am looking for that escape but also want to engage with a world that is similar to our own so in that way i think you know chosen spirits did, did it so well um so how do you you know i mean you created a whole you know other world obviously it's related to the world that we are in but you know obviously the heart of your story is you know these characters and that's how each of your stories moves forward 
so how do you incorporate that world so seamlessly i know this is a very broad question but uh, this is something that i'm very fascinated so, with uh, you know so what from the beginning from from like when i started writing my first book one of the most fun exercises that you can do in any kind of creation is as fully fleshed out and as fully realized a world build as possible you know so um for chosen spirits it was something that i have to confess i spent far too much time i spent all of two years just researching and um putting together things and imagining how how everything would you know would would click together when you when you sort of mapped in uh, both the six or seven pending apocalypses that we are facing and the many 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 directions in which things will change over the next decade and i of course did it for a longer period like i i think uh you know i think two two entire years passed before like okay you have been messing around with this for long enough now you know start writing um so when i'm doing world building i'm really making a fairly labyrinthine set of notes um where i'm you know looking at not only you know the larger forces that drive the world but also the everyday details and objects and clothes and environments and um eating places and foods and you know changes in conversation and all of that um a whole a really large uh bundle a, a mountain of notes is building continuously and in chosen spirits it is actually all based off the news and a lot of non fiction about um, where uh, different technologies are headed or where things like surveillance are headed or where politics is headed um and then one of the nicest parts about planning a story or just writing a story with this in the back of your head is putting all of this together so it's like if you if you uh, look at the show say black mirror right each episode examines a particular uh, use of technology first experienced and then something goes wrong and then things come to either a bleak or a vaguely satisfying but troubling ending um now imagine eight of those happening at the same time um you know we are not looking at just one axis of storytelling but but several at once and that's why it took it took 2 years to plot the other books have been um much easier and much more fun to to build but they were less concerned with depicting um the reality of an existing place than they were in constructing worlds um entirely from scratch so that that's easier and that's also a lot more fun because then then you have more space to fool around with you know names and magic things and um superpowers and and other such zingy stuff Yeah and it's it's really good to know uh, your process Amit because that's something you know Tara and I had discussed like we were wondering how do you organize all these uh, you know thoughts the research everything because you know as a writer I was wondering you know that it's so tough to just you know keep track of a few elements thanks a lot for really giving us an insight into your process So Amit you know uh, obviously you know we are operating in a world in which there is a pandemic raging and in that way we're already living in a dystopia um and so michelle and i are part of this book club uh where you know we were discussing one one of the kinds of books we want to read um you know during this time and almost everybody said that you know uh they want to read something lighter they don't want to be reminded of uh, a world that is dark so did you have uh, you know and i know that as soon as this book released it went to you know number 1 on the charts but were you thinking of um, you know this when the book got released what have the reactions been from your readers um, especially at a time like this I was actually a bit worried that because obviously you know you're you're releasing a book into a pandemic I was worried that it would disappear completely you know because that's the 
that's always a danger with books nowadays because every, the the news is so saturated and every form of you know every cultural space is also super saturated but um i was worried more about um you know about the book catching some space in this super saturated you know cultural space then i was about it then i was about its sales like i knew that eventually over time it would find its readership because books tend to do that um but i have to tell you that one of the reasons that i sort of chose to go ahead and push my publishers to go ahead and publish during the pandemic was that the last year uh the last year has been such a whirlpool of chaos that every other day something on the other happens that would you know that possibly changes the course of history for the next 10 20 years possibly longer and while it's not the job of a near future book to predict the future accurately um because you know it's more about presenting a convincing world in whatever uh, period of time and it doesn't it's not like a weather report um but i was still fairly sure that if we went even further into uh things like the lockdown and the pandemic and all of that then we were going to come into a situation where chose the world of chosen spirits 10 years down the line would be fundamentally you know um non realistic in some way and i didn't want that to happen because i'd spent so much time doing um sort of future prediction mathematics over the last 3 years um down to that space where i was frantically rewriting the first chapter of the book to take in all the many uh you know very uh, large political events that happened over the last 6 months that i just didn't want to write a whole other draft set during a lockdown yeah and i think uh, samit you know we all are in the same boat we all felt really strange you know just just looking at the things that are happening around us what we really liked about you know what you've done with the book is that you've you know put your vulnerability on the page you know you've really addressed things that are very difficult to talk about and honestly that are not you know that people you know think twice before even saying it out in private so um you know is this something that you've thought of like will this book be relevant in the next 10 years summits because you see the way things are changing right now itself you know i mean it's quite rapid so is that something you've thought about Oh absolutely a lot of this book came out of i would say a certain form of guilt in the sense that you know when so much so much chaos is happening around you you still have the luxury to do things like you know write for a living um then that that is an indicator of extreme extreme privilege and also an indicator that you are not as touched by um the extreme danger a lot of people who live like just a few houses down from you are in um and i didn't want this this age of of this era so to speak to pass by uh, and say absolutely nothing about it as in i didn't want to sort of escape into you know some kind of very pleasant uh, magical universe and live there very happily and securely but what i what i did feel is that i did want to uh, engage with the world that we're all living in and uh, maybe try and you know bring whatever experience i had gathered over the last 16 17 years into uh maybe telling the sort of story that i was best suited to telling so when when you can manage to do that like you know no one knows what's going to be relevant or who's going to be relevant 10 years from now because right now we barely know what's going to happen 
next month. And while I'm hoping that there's going to be some semblance of, of restoration of order, um, the the the, so the streams of culture move so rapidly now that you you can't really plan for what happens to any work that you create 10 years down the line. But I still would like to believe that, you know, if you manage to sort of hit a certain sweet spots on various fronts, um, then books survive. Like, I've been very lucky to have at least two or three of my books still around, you know, after almost two decades uh, since they were published. So I'm hopeful about that with Joseph Prince as well. Um, there's also a, f- a few things happening with it behind the scenes, which I can't uh, talk about yet. But I'm reasonably confident, at least for the next couple of years, it's going to be around. Does it have anything to do with uh, movies or shows? <laughs> that is, that is, that is exactly what I can't talk about. Right, right. But I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a nice surprise. Um, you also mentioned, um, you know, that while you were writing Chosen Spirits, a lot of the things that you wanted to include ended up happening. <laughs> Which, um, you know, that's so interesting. So could you tell us some of the things that happened and that, that you removed from the book? Um, yeah, you know, what was happening was that a lot of the chaos that I predicted would happen over the last 10, uh, over the next 10 years was it kept happening ahead of schedule. And so it's a very weird situation. And of course, none of these things were funny at all. But when you're looking at the news and you're going, oh, no, spoilers, it's horrible. But it's also, it was also a bit funny. But Fortunately, you know, in in the book itself, which is which, uh, it's hap- the events are happening a decade from now. But a lot of the a lot of the things that happened um, in the years previous are sort of covered by this umbrella bad period called the years not to be discussed, um, which was a which was a reasonably good move on my part because I it would have been terrible if I'd been actually mapping things out year by year because I have to keep changing that and I've gone completely insane. And and that actually reminded me of, you know, he who must not be named from Harry Potter. Was that an inspiration somewhere? Well, he who must not be named nowadays can mean anything in many countries. So, but if you're talking about Voldemort, then I'm sure that was a background inspiration in, in some form. But um, we're, in, we're entering a phase of the world where there's going to be a lot of censorship along with a lot of surveillance. So people are going to get very used to not talking about uh, difficult things, which is something that, that that has always happened in our country and many others. But people are going to get very used to not talking about difficult things very deliberately and also in the comfort of their own homes where previously they felt free, you know. So that that very scary thought was, was what led to that. Yeah. Um, and Samit, uh, you know, we are really interested to know what is, uh, you know, your... A supportive community like like you know who is your beta reader because we remember speaking to Tasha and Mehta and she said that you know no matter which writer writes uh, you know science fiction or speculative fiction in India they always know that they have a community to go to and that Samit Basu is really encouraging and accepting of new talent so it made us wonder you know who is your mentor Samit like who do you go to for feedback for your work yeah. Uh, that was very sweet of Tashan and uh, what a lovely talented writer she is and I'm just can't wait to see what she does next. Um you know in terms of in terms of mentors and so on what I have in in the form of community is a very lovely set of writers both in India and abroad uh, because after Turbulence got published in the UK and the US I had I was lucky enough to you know befriend a few um 
a few writers, mostly in SF and fantasy, um, from from those countries and a few other countries. And also from the years before that, when I'd worked in comics alongside writing books, I had the absolute privilege of collaborating with, with some really well-known people and who showed me that, you know, that in art communities, everyone prospers more when you sort of work together behind the scenes, when you promote one another's work, when you kind of try and help out in, you know, in any way possible. And I have to say that in India, we don't have anything like uh, that kind of culture in the book space. Maybe it's starting now. I think things have gotten a little better over the last five or six years, maybe the last decade even. So I think people who are younger, like people who are now in their 20s and 30s, uh, are going to have to be a lot less toxic uh, and a lot less competitive and a lot more supportive of one another. So that's where that comes from, really. It's just I've because I think I managed to enter this field when I was quite young and uh, see what people were going through. It becomes a very natural thing to try and uh, try and help in whatever little way uh, talented young people who are coming into the field and who who aren't necessarily from the the supposedly correct backgrounds because there's such a there's there's so many kind of you know, ways of excluding people that our country is is great at, that those things have to be broken down before we can all build something really interesting and something that the world will take notice of. That actually answers a lot um, of some of the questions we are going to ask you, you know, what would you tell um, an outsider coming into this field? And we've seen, you know, there's so much, uh, so much talent out there, especially in the last few years, you know, there's been a rise of sort of uh, speculative fiction. We recently conducted a dystopian short story contest and got over a, a hundred entries, um, you know, um, and, and, and so many of them were fantastic. So I really do see, um, you know, uh, more and more readers going to this form. Uh, what I also wanted to ask you is we already, you know, people say that uh, there aren't uh, there aren't enough readers for Indian sci-fi or Indian speculative fiction. But I feel like the Indian readers are, you know, consuming Western uh, speculative fiction, movies, graphic novels. So what is your take on converting those um, readers who already exist in India and, um, you know, converting them to Indian content? So I've heard all of these things since 2003. Sometimes people forget. Like sometimes people will come and tell me that fantasy and SF don't work in India. Then I'll remind them that I've had a number of number one bestsellers and had really great reviews and everything. And the books have traveled abroad and film rights have been bought and all this nonsense has happened. So what are you talking about, right? What happens is often these things are used as ways to exit uncomfortable conversations by publishers and editors and agents where they don't want to tell someone, look, we can't sell you, right? Um, Mostly the problem is one of discovery. Like people, if you look at people who are outside media circles and outside a certain sort of social college, uh, friends of friends of friends network, Mostly they haven't really heard of a lot of Indian authors, especially ones in English. So right now they'd have heard of, you know, Ruskin Bond, Chetan Bhagat, and in many places that's it. So this is more a publishing industry challenge than it is a, uh, than it is a what's actually inside the books challenge. So it's a question of many things happening. Like anytime there's one success in any field, that becomes the industry's favorite thing for the next year so the moment let's say you know 
the moment one horror novel about a three-headed man from Bhopal becomes big, immediately 50 other writers will sell horror novels about three-headed men from Bhopal. You know, and it'll become ancient wisdom that, of course, in India, only these things work. And you won't, you've written a novel about uh, four-headed men from Bhopal? No, no, that, that doesn't work in India. <laughs> because it's just, it's nobody's fault. But people will come and ask you things like, you know, why isn't there good writing in, you know, fill-in-the-blank space in India? And the answer is, it is there. It is just that you haven't heard of it. And you won't look for it. Like, if you just look on something like Google, you will find every kind of book you're looking for written by an Indian person it's just that that book has not reached you because the the publishing marketing ecosystem the distribution ecosystem the attention ecosystem these things aren't biased towards letting that information reach a large number of people but if you if you know that you're interested in something if you know that you like a particular kind of book or film or show or whatever you can find it locally. So, and it's because of this information asymmetry that Indians mostly hear of the big books that are doing well in the West. So, Samit, uh, you know, obviously you work in so many different forms. So, Michelle and I were wondering, what is your next project? Is it another book or is it, uh, you know, a movie or, you know, what are you working on next? Right. Well, uh, so there's always going to be a next book. Um so definitely that. What I'm probably going to also work on next is this interesting uh, sort of multi-format collaborative serial thing, which I am really not allowed to talk about at this point. Um, so I won't. No, I was wondering, you know, you're so creative. I mean, that's really cool. <laughs> it's I, I don't have much of a social life. So that's that's where it all comes from. But thank you. <laughs> So, Samit, now we are going to have a little rapid-fire round. Okay. I hope you don't mind that. Um, so, so what's your day job like, Samit? Uh, my day job is writing. So, uh, it is very unstructured. Okay. Will we see the pandemic in any of your books? No. Not anymore. Not this one. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And if you so, if you could go inside any one of the worlds that you've created... Which world would it be? Um, It would be turbulence because I would have sofas and there would not be that much wrong with the world. Fair enough, yeah. So Samit, um, if not speculative fiction, anything else? Any other genre that you would like to try? The short answer to this is all of them. But I'm not going to do it. Like I am going to focus on speculative fiction now because, you know, through the last 17 years, I've tried out a bunch of other um, media. I've tried out I've tried out writing children's books and all of that. I, I enjoy all of them, but it's it's also nice to kind of focus on one thing. So not doing anything else for a while. If you had to make up any other profession for yourself, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> nice one. Um, it would be... No, it would be writer. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and the problem is I can't even... Like, I'll complain endlessly about being a writer. But the thing is, I completely chose it. No one asked me to do it. No one wanted me to do it. You know, I, you know and, I, and I kind of... I think I depress uh, newer writers of this by despite telling them about it because they're like, oh, deadline, deadline, deadline. I said, listen, when you send in your book now, they'll be pleasantly surprised that you have. <laughs> um, so, Samit, sir, we wanted to know your views on certain writers. All so, right. let's just begin. Certain books, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you can tell us like or dislike. Sure. Yeah. The Handmaid's Tale. I really like it. Okay. Neil Gaiman. 
Um, you know, the Sandman was a transformative experience for me. And that love that, that came from there has lasted through the rest of his career. I still think that's his greatest work. Okay. And that actually brings me to my question. What is your favorite book to screen adaptation? My favorite book to screen adaptation is, uh, do sequels count? Yeah. They count then the new Watchmen, the one that they just did last year. Samit, what do you think about Ted Chang? Um, so clever. Annoyingly clever. I was just reading uh, the new book. And Douglas Adams. Love Douglas Adams. I like the first uh, the first book in that uh, trilogy of four parts more than the rest. Yeah. And Samita, what do you think of Ursula Le Guin? And like she, uh, I share my birthday with her and I've heard that she's a big name in the industry. So I just wanted to know what you thought of her. The work is incredible. So, if, if, you know, um, and I would say of... Of all the the writers who you could start reading fantasy with, um, because you know Tolkien isn't for everyone. Tolkien is for uh, like if you really want to get obsessed with Tolkien, you'd have to be, I think, a young boy, right? Right. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Legwin's work is for everyone. Um, anyone can just become super interested and obsessed. So if you want to read uh, classic fantasy, that's the place to start. She's she's the writer to start with. So many recommendations uh, here for all our listeners. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you, Samit. I think we, like Tara and I, learned so much on this episode. You know, thank you so much for taking the time out and sharing your insights with us. It was amazing. Yeah, this was just wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I had a lovely, lovely time. Um, and good luck with this. I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was so insightful, Tara. His tips will definitely help me in my writing journey. Yeah, and I think I may go back to reading dystopian fiction, even though it's a pandemic. So, our next guest is Anmol Malik. She has written a genre-bending book called Three Impossible Wishes. So, even if you don't regularly read Chicklet, you have to read this. Tune in for our next episode. As always, you will find us on at Bound India on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you know it, you can reach out to us anytime with feedback, suggestions, uh, book recommendations and more. So see you next time.